What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ball in the Real World. It is NBL finals time. It is award season in the NBL as well. It's all happening. Uh, there are snubs. There are favorites to win awards. There aren't many locks. And the finals is weird because the best player in the league won't be playing. So it's all it's all out there. Joining me to talk over everything, I've got my ESPN colleagues, Steve Smith, Kane Pittman. What's going on, guys? Doing very well. And uh, I don't. I, I think this has been the case with every sports league across the world the last year, but I can't figure out in my head whether this has been a long NBL season or a short NBL season, but it feels like there's been a lot of basketball. It's been six months, right? Just, just about six months. And it's weird because that's how long an NBA season basically is. Right. But for some reason, it feels like it's been so, so long. It feels This feels like it's been an entire year and it's draining. Um, and it, the weirdest thing is that these semifinals are going to be done and dusted in about a week. And that's really odd. Steve, how are you? I'm, I'm good, guys. I cannot believe this is the first time I've actually caught up since the NBL Cup. And it honestly does feel wow. like, a, like a lifetime ago, the amount of basketball we've crammed into since then. So much has happened. How think have these teams like... only played 36 games? Can we work that out? It feels <laughs> like I've watched these teams play a full NBA schedule, honestly. I mean, do you remember the NBL Cup? Wait, was Southeast Melbourne, was, were they good then? They had a good NBL Cup. And then they got bad and then they got right. good. And now they're, now they're not great again. And who who knows? Um, we're going to talk final stuff. It's, it's Southeast Melbourne versus Melbourne in Sydney. How exciting. Um, but bef- before we get on to that stuff, let's talk awards. Because over the, the evening, um, the NBL dropped its top three finalists for each end of season award. Um, we're going to talk through all of those. We're going to talk about who we thought was maybe snub who we think should win the award, um, and then just some general thoughts about it. Um, I was part of the nomination process, which created a short list of guys who got sent to coaches, assistant coaches, and captains to vote on. Um, Really interesting process. Um, A lot of politicking would definitely be going on, but we have the lists of what we have. and so the, the three finalists for the MVP award that we ended up with was Bryce Cotton, Tyler Harvey, Nathan Sobey. Um, Steve, I know you have an issue with this list. I think we all should have an issue with this list. I, I, where is Jock Landale? Honestly, like I, I, I can understand like in some respects, Melbourne United are such a, a quote unquote stacked team, but he's, He's by far and away their best player. It's the best team in the league. Uh, I guess I, I wonder how much political stuff goes into it. But I also wonder, I look at his stats and people see only 27 and a half minutes per game and only, only quote unquote, 16.3 points per game or, or whatever it is. Is he a victim of people just looking at the stats and not, and not really seeing the influence he has at both ends of the, of the floor? It's, it, I think it's, it's a bunch of things. When we look at that list... Cotton, Harvey, Sobey. It's a lot of offense. It's just a lot of scoring. It's really exciting. I get it. They're all super dynamic. Um, but relative to Jock Landau, not as much winning, obviously. Mm. Um, and I had Jock Landau in my, I think we chose five or six guys for 
Defensive Player of the Year. Jock Landau was a part of my list. Um, and that's also because Melbourne United has the best defense in the league. So you have the anchor of the best defense in the league, one of the toughest covers on the other end. And we know the reason he doesn't score as much as he perhaps could is because he gets doubled all the time. And that's how you game plan for him. Um, so I think his value is pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. Maybe it got boring. Kane, did you, you you're in Melbourne. You've seen that up close. Do you think that's part of it? I don't, I'm not sure. I was really curious. I wasn't actually sure that the, or wasn't aware that the teams had some involvement and in, in whatever it is with this voting process, which I don't think is 100% clear to me anyway. But I would have had Landau in there. I, I'll just say it. I wouldn't have had Sobey in there. And the reason I wouldn't have had Sobey in there, who, by the way, yeah. has had an outstanding season. It's not even a disrespect to him, first of all. But I wouldn't have had him in there because Brisbane's been really a flat-out average team all season long. They've been competitive at times. There's been a lot that's gone on that's contributed to the fact that they've been an average team, but they've been an average team. United's been the number one team all season long. And Steve, I think you came up with the good point. The 16 points per game or whatever he averaged for the season, I do think that people will look at that and say, okay, maybe he's been a little disappointing from where the expectations were, but it couldn't be further from the truth because if you're watching these games, and I do think you get a better perspective when you're in the arena and you see it, but he really is the fulcrum to everything they do offensively and everything they do defensively. And there's been multiple post-game press conferences where I've asked Jock, does he think that he should be more aggressive? Because when you're there, you see him as the most dominant force on the floor on both ends, and it's not even close, but he understands that, and he's used that gravity and that attention that he gets to make everyone better. And just because sometimes you haven't seen it in the box score, I don't think it matters. He's been unbelievable for them this year, and it's staggering that he's not in the top three. I'm also thinking about John Mooney, who I think the Jock Landau's not... The, the Jock Landau snub made me forget that John Mooney is absolutely a snub. John Mooney yeah. had a case for number one, in my opinion. He had a case for it. I, I probably would have lent toward Bryce Cotton at the end, like when it all when it was all said and done. But John Mooney definitely had a case up there. So the fact that he missed out too, again, the, the, I think I'm pretty sure he's got the highest player efficiency rating in the league. He is also really effective defensively. We just we've we've it's very much a guards league, and it always has been. And when we notice that with the defensive player of the year award too, it's it's where everyone leans to. I get it. Guards are exciting. Guards are sexy. It, it just it just seems as though the intangibles don't get rewarded as often as they perhaps should. Out of these guys, Cotton, Harvey, Sobey, I've got Cotton, especially if that's the list. I think. Cotton should run away with it. Is that a consensus among all of us? Yeah, I, I I think he's clearly out of that group. He's clear, and I think even if you had Landau in, I still think Cotton wins. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I he his influence on games, and it's it's shown when he's been out. Like you look at Perth, and they're just a completely different outfit. They don't have that late game shot maker that that can break teams' backs and. It's a reason why they're so, so vulnerable against Illawarra in, in, in this playoff series. I, I would say the only thing I would push back on, you mentioned John Mooney as potentially the number one. And I know you've been on that train all season long for good reason. The numbers have been outrageous at times during the season. But I, I did wonder at the start of the season, and I think one of the first things I said is, is if, if Perth, and we all agreed on this, actually, I'll give mm. us all a little bit of credit for this. If John Mooney or if Perth make the playoffs, the finals, 
than John Mooney would have had a monster season. And I, I do wonder, it's hard for me to look at this season without trying to take away any credit from what Mooney has done and not look at it and say, Bryce Cotton did the same for Nick Kay, made him look unbelievable. And by the way, again, not taking credit from him because he was fantastic in the World Cup in different scenarios. But Cotton, when you watch the game, all eyes are on Bryce Cotton. All the attention is on Bryce Cotton. And, and he, he, he's just incredible, honestly. I, I think the way that he's transitioned from K to Mooney is even more credit to him. So, yeah, I think I think Cotton will win it and should win it. Kane, just, um, Kane, just on the start of the season, and um, where, where have you got Kiefer Sykes, your MVP pick? Where, where does he come in now? Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. I, I actually split it up. Uh, I have a healthy section of the league and then I have an injury prone <laughs> of the league. And Keith Sykes is the MVP of the players that had multiple injuries through the season and weren't able to stay on the court. You guys, you guys know that he makes that Southeast Melbourne team different and he's the reason why they're a chance to perhaps cause some problems in this series. He's unbelievable. We saw him the other night. Did you see the game the other night? What do you have, 30 points? Stop. <laughs> I, I, I saw the game. I, I think the, the all-injured MVP is Isaac Humphreys. But Kiefer Sykes also did some things. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> let's go on to Coach of the Year. And we're going we're gonna to pump through these because we do have finals to talk about. Um, Coach of the Year is between Brian Gorgian, Dean Vickerman, Trevor Gleeson. Now, this, was, it's, this is one of those awards where, you know how during the start of the season it was just, Cotton's the MVP, and it's going to take a whole lot for that to be stolen away from him. I think we had the same sentiment around Trevor Gleeson as the coach of the year. Um, Vickerman, I I understand it, that they're 28 and 8, right? That's incredible. We saw with, like, Dean Demopoulos a few years ago, it, just because you have a talented team doesn't mean that you're going to do stuff with it, right? We saw that with Andrew Gaze with the Sydney Kings too, right? So you give Vickerman credit. But Brian Gorgian is the sleeper candidate. Because he had a team that didn't have its two marquee Australians, had a whole bunch of young dudes, played some of the best defense in the league, and somehow got the third spot when they were looking shaky. And I genuinely think some of those midseason changes he made were game changing. Um, I still think I'd give this to Gleason, but Kane, do you? Is this more of a competition than than? I think it, I don't, is this a competition? Is it Gleason, Gorgian? Is it, is that a toss up for you? Uh, I, I was, if I had to have a pick, I would, I would pick Gorgian because of the reasons that you mentioned. Uh -huh. And I, I think this has been a little bit of a rocky road in terms of bringing these young guys together. And they had plenty of reasons why they could have crumbled during the middle of the season. And remember, mm -hmm. we were talking about Dangadal at the start of the season. Like this was some huge pickup for the Hawks and this was going to be a reason why they were going to push for the finals. He was going to be nothing. the MVP, defensive player. He's going to be everything, huh? He did nothing. He was gone. And if you had said that at the start of the season, I don't think there's a chance that you pick the Hawks in there. But I'll say this about Vickerman. The reason why he deserves credit is because I, I think when we looked at this United team at the start of the season, if you had said that Scotty Hobson was going to be coming off the bench and, and Mitch McCarron was going to be the point guard and play the unselfish role that he played and Landau was going to buy in and not try and get 25 points and 15 rebounds every single game, like that aspect of the game that you pointed to, I think deserves credit as well to have all these guys play. I mean, they play unselfish basketball. It's, it's incredible to watch actually the way they play. And I think that goes down to the players being willing to buy in, but also Vickerman. 
Also, I think with Vickerman, it, it gets a little overlooked. Melbourne United you know, haven't always had a, a full team to, to deal with either. Like they've had their share of injuries. And I think that that gets overlooked when you've got that much talent. I mean, you know, they lose White and, and you know, Udo Barber has missed time and, and Golding missed time at, at times. So I think, you know, I think that that sometimes just gets a little bit overlooked. Look, and it's interesting because I think I picked Gorgian at the start of the year. Um, I think he was my pick for coach of the year, but real lazy I think pick. It's gonna be, I think it's going to be Gleason <laughs> because I think, you know, like Olga and I both picked Perth to, to miss the playoffs. So yeah, you looked at that roster and you look at the job Gleason's <laughs> done and I, I think he's the coach of the year. Yeah. I've, I've said this before. Coach of the year is one of the easier equations. It's, I forget the, the equation though. It's, it's an expectation over, um, yeah. over reality, something like that. Right. If you exceed expectations to a certain extent, then you're a good chance to win this. Um, I, I think it's Gleason because I, I think it's the, the mindset of if he's not going to win it for doing what he did this year, like how can he win it any other time? Right. This, mm. we, no one picked the Wildcats. Well, not many people had the Wildcats doing what they were supposed what, what they did. Um, I have a snub though. One snub from this list, I think, is Adam Ford because the Kings went through as much adversity as anyone, probably the most amount of adversity. And they were really close to getting into that, that last spot in the finals. They, they have the same record as the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. It came down to percentage with them. And so for him to do what he did with uh, a Kings team that lost its best Australian before the season even started, had just injury after injury, then lost one of its better scorers in Dan Vasiljevic, they had to go through just a, an absurd amount and an absurd level of player. The, the, the guys that had to pump through that franchise just to keep them alive was was weird they were just sort of like scraps with all respect to them right and big ups to adam ford for kind of lifting them up and, and turning them into legitimate nbl players no one had signed tom vadanovich he's all of a sudden a dude who should probably be on a roster spot one of the one of the earliest signings on a roster spot next season so like i give adam ford credit for that and any other snubs is it, it I think Simon Mitchell is a name that I've heard thrown out there. Um, yeah. He also has like three boomers on his team. So I, I don't know about this, the word snub there. Anything else? I think the other honorable mention, and I, I harp on this a lot, but it's Dan Shamir. Like the history books are going to show that the, the New Zealand breakers finished second last. And yet he kept them together while they were away from home the whole time. Like I yeah. think that, 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 that will get overlooked. And I don't think it should be because I think what he did was phenomenal. Agree. There was a Steve, Steve just in- Steve just that was exactly what I was going to mention as well. We all said at the start of the season we all had them in our top four, I believe, uh, yeah, but we also yeah. acknowledged the fact that this was going to be a significant challenge. I think it ended up being even longer than what we thought at the start of the season as well. So yeah, you know, shout out to him. I, I felt bad for him at, at mm. times, and, and remember, even from a personnel standpoint, their team didn't finish the way that we thought it was going to be when we picked them in the top four as well. Exactly. The Breakers were a team that in the middle of the season, I was told, like, seriously considered just dropping out yep. of the tournament. It was getting really difficult. And so for that team to stay together and finish it out and then get those home games at the end, a lot of credit to them just for sticking through it. Um, there is a Breaker in the Most Improved Player too. What a segue. Um, most Improved Player, Finn Delaney, Jordan Hunter, Sam Froling. Um, with all respect to Finn Delaney, who had a really outstanding year, and should definitely be in a conversation for an all-NBL second team. I, I think it comes down to the other two guys. Um, 
and that's sort of been the the narrative the entire season Kane do you have a have you lent a certain way this entire time um probably Froling again because the Hawks I think if you look at the role that he's had to play in that team and probably stepped up even more than we thought he was going to. Like, I think you looked at Sam Frohler and said, okay, this is a guy that we've seen flash the talent. Is he going to do it consistently? Is he actually going to be a guy that you're going to tune in to watch the Hawks and say, all right, yeah, look, Frohler is going to play well. Harvey's obviously the star. Uh, Jessup, these guys, they've got a bunch of role players, but Frohler and his consistency, I, I think it has stood out to me. I mean, he's just a legitimate guy now where you where you watch the team and, and expect that he's going to have an impact. He wasn't that guy before the start of the season and playing on a playoff team. And, and you know, I, I think that you get credit for that. Yeah, I'd, I'd so, agree with that, Ayn. I, I think, like, it's always an interesting one with most improved because you look at, and it, it's the case with Sam because you double the minutes and he's doubled the output. So the output looks good, but you've got to take into account he's actually getting more playing time because he's been better. So it's it's this you know self fulfilling circle in a way. And don't don't get me wrong, Findelani was very very good all year on a you know the poor breakers. He he upped his scoring with marginally more playing time. So that was that was impressive in itself. And and look, Jordan Hunter I think has surprised everyone, but for me it's frolling as well. I, I think as Kane said, it's on a playoff team. Between with he, the way he plays with Ogilvy as a bit of a two-headed monster, and we'll talk about that playoff matchup with Mooney a little bit later. But I think the way those two work together and and his output has has been so so good. To be a top two or three guy on a playoff team on the third place team as a twenty-one-year-old, that's very impressive. And we yeah. don't talk about his age enough, but that we we forget he's still so young. He dropped out of college after a year or two, right? He just didn't. Yeah. I think he went to Creighton. He just didn't stay there. And he's turned into a really legitimate pro. Um, and he's done that relatively quickly. Um, I think it will come down to those two, following and Hunter. And Hunter is a guy who I think will keep making improvements. I think that, I think there's a good chance that Hunter ends up better than Froling. Um, I, I think there's a ceiling there that I think Hunter can hit. Um, and it's this, it's the we we've, we spoke about this in in our group chat the other day, but I think that Hunter is on that will magnate trajectory, in the sense that he's got a lot of interesting tools that can see him be a really good plug and play guy at a high level. And whether he gets there is we'll have to wait and see. Um, but for now, I just think the improvement, the jump, and also the jump in just role for Sam Froling is just too immense. Are there any snubs in this most improved? Is is there a snub? This doesn't seem like the award where that exists. I didn't really necessarily see a snub. I did have a question without notice right there, and that was where you ranked, say, Hunter alongside Luke Travers and and Sam. Like where, how how those three, and where you'd rank their ceilings and potential. I w- I would put Travers at the top just because yeah. Travers is a legit six nine. Um, he's super skilled. He's a really good athlete. I think his offensive awareness is really underrated. Um, I think if he works with a track coach and, and kind of refines his athleticism this season, yeah. I, I really like, and we're gonna, we'll are gonna we talk about it when we talk about the finals, but when Trevor Gleason puts the ball in his hands and lets him run a little bit, lets him have a bit of freedom, I think the Wildcats look really good. Um, we and, and Travis was, I covered him at under 17s. He was a shooter. He was clearly the best player in his age group there. And 
you know, he's grown up. He's he sort of looks like an Andre Kirilenko kind of guy. And so the ceiling is there. All the tools are there. He just needs to refine it all and put it, put it all together. When yeah. it comes to froling, I, I, his professional ceiling isn't too high for me just because of the nature of his skill set and athleticism and, and size. Um, Jordy Hunter has that whole, I will, I, I will be a vertical lob threat and I will also be a shot blocker. So you can see him being a plug-and-play guy, whereas Sam Froling is a guy that you need to put the ball in his hands and so he doesn't just fit into a team, in, into different teams at higher levels. So I, I would go Travis Hunter Froling as far as ceiling. As far as how good they are now, it's probably the exact opposite. Yeah. Kane, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I think the thing with, with Hunter in particular, you already mentioned Adam Ford for the reason that Sydney deserves respect because of the stuff they've had to go through. But I think we've seen that with Sydney that have lost key players all year. So it felt more critical to me watching the Kings that Hunter was a contributor on a nightly basis than perhaps Travers in Perth, even though, as you said, it does feel like there's still a lot within Travers' game that that, uh, that Perth can unlock, um, particularly in transition, particularly just using that, that raw athleticism. But I think, again, importance to the team this year and in terms of surprise factor of a guy that became really, really critical than, than Hunter, I mean, it's it's been it's been impressive. I mean, it's it's been a big reason that Sydney have been able to stay in a lot of games and win a lot of games. Yeah, I think that's very lucky for Hunter as well for his development that sure. he's been on a yeah. team that that forced and needed he was him. forced yeah. to yeah he was forced to jump in the deep end and he didn't crack. Um, let's talk six men. There are three here, two from Melbourne United, all from Melbourne teams. Um, so we have Joe Luwal, you will, Carl Adnam, Scotty Hobson. Now, the top two that I had on my nominees list aren't even on this list. I had Ben Moore and I had Corey Webster. And neither of those two, and I get Corey Webster started a lot of games, but from the list I got, he was technically still eligible. Um, and I think he produced at a high enough level that I thought he deserved the nod. Um, but Kane, out of these three, firstly, do, do you think there are snubs? I think the Ben Moore one is sort of a universal snub that a lot of people think should have been in here. Out of these Melbourne Melbournians, who you got? Well, Ben Moore feels like an actual traditional bench player because he's come off the bench yeah. all season long. So the, the only problem I have with the three guys, and I understand the eligibility of why they were eligible for the award, but when I think about Carl Adnam and why his name is probably even in this list, it's because he had that really, really great stretch when Sykes wasn't playing. So it's it's kind of like, yeah. okay, so what are we voting him for? Because as a, as a role player, he's still been a factor, but it's clear that the most important player coming off the bench for Southeast Melbourne has been Ben Moore. So I think Scotty Hobson would be the, the obvious choice if he had have played more games. He's obviously had an injury interrupted season. And I actually think in the last two to three weeks, you've, you've seen the best we've seen yep. of Hobson. He, he really kind of struggled to find probably A, where his shots were coming from uh, and his spot within the lineups because there's so many stars in this United team. And then couple, combined with, with health, it was a bit of a rocky start to the season. So then is it by default, Big Joe, who, by the way, if you were going to talk about any snubs for most improved, I mean, he has been improved with his consistency. True. And I think, I think if you look at the start of the season, the thing that impresses me with him, it felt like at times that the broadcasts were openly mocking 
Joe with his shot yeah. selection. It, like it, it was honestly a little bit embarrassing to watch at times because it felt like they were literally just laughing at him, the shots he was taking. But we've seen through the season that he's, he's been really valuable for this team to keep the, the offense ticking over, get those shots. And he uses his size and his length. He should be able to get easy shots in the paint. Do you know what? Let me say something on, on that. There is, I've been told that there is a, a play that Dean Vickerman has set up where Joe, Big Joe will get a board and start to slowly dribble it down. And that it is a, a, something that they run where it's just a clear out for Big mm. Joe. So this isn't everyone just conceding that, oh, like Joe's got the ball again. Like he's going to go get a, he's going to go shoot the ball. No, this yeah. is something that is drawn up by Dean, Dean Vickerman. It is sanctioned by the team. It is literally. <laughs> All right, guys, like this is what we're running right now. Clear out. We're just going to go five out and big Joe, go do your thing. So it's it's not, this isn't an erratic player necessarily, mm. just, just trying to go get his own, right? This is, this is a, a talented guy who at times I think can be too confident with his abilities. You'd rather someone be too confident with his abilities than, than second guess himself, right? And so I, I there's, I think there's definitely a balance there as far as some levity and the fact that he does take a lot of shots and he's super confident in himself while also understanding that, yeah, there's, that's, that's also why he's really good. I think there's some reputational stuff there as well. I think this year, I think Kane's right. His shot selection this year, especially in the back half of the season, has been really, really good. Like I've watched a ton of Melbourne United and he... I can only think of like a couple of times where Vickerman, you could openly see him like, you know, what are you doing? But apart from that, United have needed that, that energy that he brings. I think he's been, I think that there's a reputation there that I think probably overshadows what he's actually doing. Yeah. And Kane, you mentioned it before, the idea of like a traditional six man. And I think Joe can sort of fall into that category too. Yeah. Because he comes off the bench and he brings that burst. He brings that production, that little bit of energy too. I, I think that's what you need. Whereas I'm, I I hadn't thought about your Kyle Adnan point, but he was a good six man. I think he was a great six man to start the season. And then he was a great starter. And then yeah. I thought he was a really below average six man or person off the bench to end the season. So yeah, it does seem as though our perception of how well Kyle Adam has played was largely created by how well he played as a starter. Yeah, and this this is across all basketball leagues in the world. The sixth man award always becomes uh, who scores the most points, which is why yeah. Ben Moore doesn't get the recognition he does. I mean, we sat here and watched Southeast Melbourne last night, uh, didn't get the win. Uh, what did he have? Twelve offensive rebounds, and you know, I yeah. think that sometimes that play and that effort that he brings which is really critical to to that southeast melbourne team and creating those second chances i don't think is as uh sexy let's say that so, so people say oh he's coming off the bench and getting eight rebounds cool like well, that that's that's not what i want to see um and then they'll go with the score in adnam who put up a lot of points in that stretch so kane then steve who wins it well, I think it's Joe by default. That's that's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's Joe as well. I just, yeah, I, I agree with Kane's point about Kyle and especially about Ben Moore. I just, I think even in the mid-season, um, you know, we were looking at things going forward, Olgs, and I think I had I had mentioned him as a potential six-man winner, we, and we worried about him starting too many games. But but Simon Mitchell never really did that, and I. I I think that's that. That's a really big snub. I, I I think he deserved to at least make the final three there. 
Absolutely. I also have Joe. And it, the crazy thing is if Ben Moore was there, I might have picked Ben Moore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's wild. Yeah. Um, best defensive player, the Damien Martin trophy. Um, will it go to the Damien Martin protege, Mitch Norton? Or the other two guys on the list, Justin Simon and Thomas Abercrombie. Um, one of the clear snubs for me was Sunday Detch. Um, he was my number two. Um, outside of that, I, I also had Jock Lanell as part of my my nominee list. Mitch McCarron would have been shortly behind him. Um, I also had Isaac Humphreys in my list just because I thought his impact was really clear, even though he didn't play enough games. So it's not surprising to not see him on this. Um, Steve, do you have any kind of do you have any kind of pressing thoughts on on this defensive player award? Yeah, I think there's some names, like you say, there's some names that are missing here that we probably thought were locks to, to make it. I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm almost as much as the MVP with Landale missing, I'm confused about some of the picks here, which is, again, it's not against the players that actually make it. It's more about the process that involved to, to get to this without including Sunday Detch or Jock Landale. Mitch McCarron as well, I think, is completely underrated when it comes to this end of the floor. He is just an absolute pest. Uh, I, that United's defense does not work without his on-ball pressure. So I'm, I'm just not sure how any of those names didn't really come into it. From memory, so I know Sunday Death was part of the shortlist that was given to, to coaches and captains. Jock Landale was not on that list. Yeah. Um, so he, Jock Landale didn't get enough media votes to be nominated for the shortlist. Kane? Yeah, I mean, again, defensive player of the year sometimes... And let's look at Justin Simon, for instance, who, by the way, if I can toot my own horn, was my preseason selection. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's my pick for this award. But 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 I think it's a perfect example when it comes to Jock Landau because when you look at Justin Simon, the steals that turn into transition dunks, he's flying around for blocks as a, as a help defender. That's really really fun to watch. Like Justin Simon is a fun player to watch. But with Jock Landau, it's funny to me that he didn't get in on the, the media selection. And I know that you said you picked him, but I absolutely would have picked him as well. Because if you watch Jock Landau defensively, it's not, it's not that the, the block attempts or the, or the block shots that he has. Have a look at how many times the opposition is just like, oh, Jock's there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going in there. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother. And then they end up jacking up a three. That, yep. That's the influence he has. So I, I think it's... It's yeah, it's kind of disappointing he wasn't in that that top three. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, verticality and altered shots aren't sexy, right? right and I don't right. think they ever have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> isn't it funny? Let me though? just say, let me just say quickly yeah. though, isn't it funny that um, the NBL award and you pointed to this? I think outside of Bogut, Bogut was at 2019 that that he won. Yeah. It a, so it's a guards award, which mm. is so funny, which is the complete opposite of the NBA, where it's a where it's a big man award. It's just it's just a funny funny how that works. Was was the last guard to win it in the NBA run our test? It sounds right. I think I think it, like it was and, and, it was a long while ago. And that's guard, you know, loosely. I mean, it's a big guy. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird, and and I, I still think that if if Isaac Humphries had played, let's say, three quarters of the season, continuing to lead the league in, mm-hmm. in blocks, I think he would have been a shout, and he maybe could have. Ch- turn the tide on the whole this is a guards award thing um that wasn't to be and now we have i guess i guess we consider three outside players abercrombie and justin simon at guards wings um 
out of those three, Steve, do you have is is there a favorite for you? Who, who do you prefer win this? Because we saw we saw Mitch Norton. We've seen the way he can lock up dudes individually, and we see how fundamentally sound he is. I guess he could have you can hang his hat on that last game he played against Casper Ware and Justin Simon, like Kane said, is just like the sexy defender. He just does that. He's he's long as hell. And then Thomas Abercrombie, I'm not entirely sure he should be on the list, but you know, he's just really solid. Do you have a pick for this? Yeah, look, I've got a little bit gritted teeth, but Kane's right. Like he's he <laughs> nailed this pick from from the start of the year, and it's Justin Simon for mine. Uh, I just like like Kane says, his influence at that end, flying around and and getting steals and leading to transition buckets. He's a big part of why Illawarra, you know, made the made the playoffs, and you know what. And again, he's going to disrupt Perth in this playoff series to come. And and I, I honestly, I think he's well ahead of the other two and no disrespect to either of them um you know you know i'm I'm really glad tom abercrombie got a got a shout like i think you know he's still getting it done you know in in as that wily you know grizzled vet and he's you know knocking down game winners and he's still a defensive you know presence at the other end so it's 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 really nice to see but for me yeah justin simon by quite a margin i think I also hate to indulge Kane, but I think it's Justin <laughs> Simon too. And it, it's also because the Hawks had, I think they finished the season with the second best defense in the league. Yeah. They were consistently one of the better defensive teams all season. And his impact on that was just really clear. It, and it, it, it wasn't, it's not just the, the tangible stuff. You can just see how much he's length. They drop into a zone sometimes and he would just be the most disruptive guy on earth. So I, yes, Kane, congratulations on your successful prediction that's two for me um, uh justin simon and of course will give me sykes as well because of injury if he wasn't injured so that's two for me so that's good i might have chosen dangadel so ignore me forever dangadel <laughs> um, <laughs> is no longer in the country so um the last award is rookie of the year um now this is i, I think maybe the only one that's effectively a lock or at yeah. least extremely likely um, we've got Dayan Vasiljevic, Josh Giddy, and Justinian Jessup. Um, in my mind, it's Josh Giddy and then Daylight. Does anyone disagree with that? No. I mean, we can... I, th- I think, you know, the bigger argument is about having someone like Mooney be eligible for this. Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, and maybe, look, you know, I'm only mucking around here a little bit, but Greg Hyatt, you know, talks about Luke Travers having more potential than than Josh Giddy. But um, there's some there's some Perth coloured glasses there. But I think, <laughs> I think honestly, it, it has to be Josh. And yeah, daylight second. He's been just he was so good until you know he shut it down, and you can't blame him for that. But the impact he had on not only Adelaide but the league, everyone was talking mm-hmm. about him. Um, just his his dynamic play, everything about him. And, you know, we're all like, let's enjoy him because we're not going to see him back here for a long, long time. So it's it's Josh easily for mine. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think his impact on winning is also something that we yeah. can't just ignore. He did impact winning, um, which isn't something that we saw Lamelo do a lot. And the context matters too. Lamelo didn't have a good team around him. Um, but I think that matters when it comes to Giddy. Um, and he's there's been a conversation about where does he sit in the all NBL conversation? Does he sit just outside that second team? Is he kind of knocking on the door? He's probably, he's at the very least on the bubble there. And I think if you're on the bubble there and you're a rookie, it's sort of, you can't not win this award, okay? 
Yeah, yeah, I guess you'd, I would have to go through and, and really look at second team and um, the outside players and see where he sits. But off the top of my head, I mean, he has to be in that sort of the, the, the group of six, seven or eight, right? I mean, he has to be there. If you watch the games, you saw the impact he had. The one thing I will say, we were having a conversation in our uh, message last week about shooting and different types of shooters within the league. And I'll say to the other two guys that are nominated for Rookie of the Year here, when you talk about guys that can shoot off the dribble, off the move, around screens, dribble handoffs, uh, Chris Golding is obviously the gold standard when it comes to the NBL. And he, again, has had an incredible year. But those two rookies, in in terms of entertainment value, watching those guys just let it fly throughout the season, it, it was remarkable. Honestly, I had so much fun watching those two guys shoot the ball. So... Um, you know, probably an injury there. It, I, I, I generally, I think if you're going to get nominated, you have to play at least sixty percent of the games. Um, so that's that's the only thing I would say. But then again, um, I, I'm not I'm not upset about it because I think that the award's over anyway. But but shout out to those two guys because the way they shot the ball was was incredible. They they shoot the ball a lot more in a lot more seasoned way than you would expect young guys yeah. to. Oh yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's it's impressive, and maybe, um, uh, maybe it is the, the experience that they've had, in, in, and they come into the league and uh, have had more of those sets run for them than you generally would coming through an Australian junior junior system in terms mm. of um, coming into the NBL. I'm not 100 percent sure what it is, but they're high, they're high level shooters, no doubt. I mean, they played at a decent level in college. Yeah. They're yeah. also I don't want to say they're old because they're not old, but like they're, they're 24. They're not it's in the same way. In, yeah, so we look at Giddy, he's 18, right? Like he's yeah. a young 18. You look at DJ, DJ's 24-ish. I think Justinian might be around 23, 24 as well. So, you know, there's you you do age a little bit and they played under high-level coaches too in college. Um, it, it is cool to see those those kind of guys here. Um, it, we have a consensus that that's probably Giddy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It might be. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Way to kind of limb you guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Let's talk finals. Finals finals is going to be interesting because this one versus four matchup is Melbourne versus Southeast Melbourne. It will be played in Sydney. It will be played without crowds. Um why i don't know um but there's just there's a lot going on there as far as guys who haven't been able to go back and see their families been able to sleep in their own beds um you have a southeast melbourne team that has been up and down especially in this back end of the season um and they're going to be probably missing cam glidden who went to i think melbourne to be there for the birth of his child um and so kane just off the off the bat you know what's What's the first, what, what do you think is the, the main thing to consider in this? What's, what's the main factor in this series that could swing it in your mind? Well, defensively, we've seen Southeast Melbourne in their first season in the league. We're in a bunch of close games. They weren't able to get any stops and that really hurt them in the road to the, to the, to the finals, to the playoffs. I think we've seen them improve in that area. And I do think that the consistent play of Ben Moore has been helpful there. I think Yanni Wetzel as well. So when you're looking at, at Melbourne, you're you're looking at a team that probably has well not probably does have more offensive weapons than anyone else so 
I think that the Phoenix should feel comfortable that they're going to be able to score. They're going to have to they're going to have to knock down open shots, which has been a problem for them in in recent games here, which is why they've slumped towards the finals and why they're probably yep. playing Melbourne and not Perth, which they will uh, you know they, they can say whatever they want, but losing that game to Brisbane mm. last night was had to be devastating. Had to be devastating internally. Like if you can get Perth, regardless of the lack of rest without Bryce Cotton, there you have to play Melbourne. It's a huge blow. But yeah, I mean, defensively they're going to have to find a way to 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 stop United. I mean, I I don't know whether they have the de- defensive personnel out there or the size. We've seen at times them run Sykes and and Adnam defensive lineups, which I think is going to be a huge problem. Yeah. So I, I I don't see a way that they win, but um, it, it's going to have to be a pretty remarkable defensive performance if they do. Yeah, I'm I'm of the mind that to to not overthink Melbourne United. They they are the best defensive team in the league. They are the deepest team in the league, and they have I think the best top tier Australian guys and a guy in Hobson who is has looked really solid, especially in this back end part of the season. I, I think if you have all of those things, the, the the depth and the top tier guys, that's what you need going into any sort of playoff series, whether it's NBL, NBA. Euroleague, whatever. And I just think they have it. Um, and it's and again, it's not just that those top tier guys are, are good. I also think that they're experienced. It's it's Chris Golding, it's Mitch McCarron, it's Jock Landau, who's played in the Euroleague. It's you know, you have Dave Barlow who is not going to be phased. <laughs> Can't miss there's, there's, Yeah. The, the dude the dude is damn near 50% three point shooter, right? Um I I don't like the idea of overthinking it. I think it's a, it's a lot more simple than, than we think it is. Um, and then on the other end, I, I'm not entirely sure how much I trust Southeast Melbourne's top tier guys. Is which, which Mitch Creek is going to show up? There's not a question of which Jock Landau is going to show up or which Mitch, Mitch McCarron is going to show up, right? There's a question whether, you know, Wolf Creek will show up, right? I think there's also a question of which Keeper Sykes will show up too, right? I think he's been a lot better and more consistent as this season has gone on. But I still think it's a question. Um, Steve, where where do you sit in this conversation? It's really interesting because I I think the first thing that leapt to my mind when I saw the MVP finalists and saw that Landau wasn't there was that Melbourne United didn't need any more motivation and he's a little bit more. Yeah. Like I, I get that it's an individual award, but the chemistry on that team is so good and they all play for each other and you can't tell me that... Dean Vickerman won't have that up, you know, somewhere along the way. Like there's, I, I get, you know, amateur psycho, psychological motivations and all that sort of thing. You know, that only lasts, you know, for so long. But I think that's something that they'll use to say, well, okay, we're going to show you and here's, and we're going to, you know, we're going to win and win easily. And I, I think barring injury, I don't see, like this is United's title to lose from this point. You know, barring yeah. a major injury to a to a Landale or a or a Hobson or a Golding, and you know, Touchwood, none of that ever happens. But I don't see how Southeast Melbourne, even if even if they play at their absolute best, I just don't see how they're winning two out of three. I have I have a question for you, Kane. Um, two questions. The first one is: so Southeast Melbourne has generally performed pretty well against Melbourne. It's been one of their more favourable matchups. It seems to be one of those matchups that they, they really get up for. Um, do you think, do you see that as a factor going into this? And the second part of that question is, does not having any crowd affect that? Because it does seem as though 
one of the reasons why they get up for that matchup is because they're spurred on by what's generally a pretty rowdy crowd. The no crowd factor is is such a strange phenomenon because I, I think it does mentally impact the game. And this is just from talking to, to players in the NBL, talking to players elsewhere in different sports as well. That the thing, the one thing that they generally tell you is that it's easier to maintain runs or it's harder to overcome runs within a game, particularly whether there's a home or away game because you don't have the crowd influence. So generally, if you're down 10 perhaps, but you're at home and you have the crowd behind you, maybe it's not so much of a factor with a Melbourne-Melbourne game, but you get a couple buckets, you start to feel yourself a little bit more. Whereas when you're in an arena where it's completely empty, you never really get that external motivation or or can get fired up that way. So I I don't think in general, they're going to need any more motivation to get fired up for this game. I mean, it's their first finals appearance. Yes, they're playing Melbourne. Maybe that's a little bit more, but you shouldn't really need it. That you you said something interesting about Creek though, Olgan. And and I do think we talk about teams that have had injuries and it feels like every team has had injuries throughout the season. But I'm not sure that there's been a team that feels like it's been impacted more in terms of just straight up trying to figure out how to play with each other than the Phoenix with the guys with the ball in their hands. And, And Sykes has missed a bunch of games. Creek missed a few games through the middle there. But uh, when Sykes was out, Creek plays a completely different role because they, you can make the case that his best role within this team and when he's played his best basketball is when he's bringing, up, bringing the ball up the floor and he's just rampaging to the rim and, and being too physical for everyone. When Sykes is on the, on the floor, he has the ball in his hands a little bit more. And sometimes to me, it looks like Creek is like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Like, Am I just a spot-up shooter now? And then the third piece of that yeah. is Ryan Brockoff who played 27 yeah. minutes last night and, and was three for four from three. How do you only have four three-point attempts in 27 minutes? I don't think they figured out how to use him properly yet either. So this is the big problem. Yeah, and are, are they going to discover that in two days? Exactly. Time, right? Yeah. And and it's not like they're going up against, with respect, what the Cairns Taipans or the 36s or, or the right. Bullets, a, 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 a lax defensive team. They're going up against the best defensive team. So it's it's not they, – they don't – there's no room for error here. There's no margin for error. Um, and I agree with you. When with Kiefer Sykes, there's an understanding of of where his spots are and where he needs to be. He knows what he's doing when he's coming off on balls. He's, I think, a pretty adept spot up shooter. He he knows what his role is on this team, and it's just because it's more defined, because he's he's the point guard of the team. Mitch Creek is has always been the sort of LeBron of the NBL as far as put your head down, freight train sort of thing. And if, he, if the ball's not in his hands, then he can't be there. And as much as he's an improved shooter, and I think an improved shooter off the catch, I, I still don't think people treat him as a, a Brockoff or Glidden level shooter. And so him working off the ball is just not as, it's just not his thing. Um, so I agree. It's, it's difficult to get the most out of Mitch Creek just by the nature of the point guard that you have. Um, and that was slightly different when John Robeson was with the mm-hmm. team because he was more of a catch-and-shoot dude. Um, and so I absolutely have questions about that. I then question, and Steve, I'll throw this to you. No Glidden, probably. I, I'm, I'm under the impression that Glidden is not going to be ready for this series. Um, and there's a potential for him not to be ready for any series should the Phoenix in, uh, advance. Um, how important is Brockoff? And how much trust do you have that Brockoff will be able to show up? Not because he hasn't demonstrated some stuff in his career, but just because of what he's demonstrated this season or what he hasn't demonstrated this season. Yeah, it's an interesting one, especially like Glidden you mentioned, and like it's, it's a big out for them 
even regardless of his his offensive output, you know, he's he's gives some size in the backcourt for them, and it, it means yeah. that more extended minutes for Adnam and and Sykes together, which I I think that is something Melbourne United will exploit absolutely uh, every time they possibly can. So, but in terms of Brockoff, I think we're all a little bit puzzled, I guess, by I know he's had some injury and I know he's had some rust to to sort of get off um, since coming into the into the league again and. I guess we're all a little puzzled by, A, he's just not taking a lot of shots and the output isn't maybe what we expected. Um, I, I just, they seem to be having some trouble integrating him in it. And we'll talk about Perth, I guess, but they've got the same problem with Magne in that how are they, they're still figuring out how best to use him. And Kane's right, like only four three-pointers in, in that many minutes. It's, it's an indictment really on, on both him and what they're running that they can't get him more shots. Uh, uh, and I know he's an unselfish guy. Like he just... He likes being just part of a team and and fitting in, but at some point they need him to to really have an outburst, especially against, as you said, this is a juggernaut that they're playing. He can't afford to be, you know, unselfish at this point. And, and it's it's not diminishing what Brockoff does when no. I think when he when when he came in, I think we we largely agreed that he was just a very good role player, just an elite role player, just by the nature of his skill set. And it's it's difficult for him to impose himself on a game again just by the nature of the kind of player he is but going into a series against a really strong Melbourne United team without Ken Glidden I, I don't think they have a choice I don't think he has a choice but to try and impose himself on a game yeah he again he historically has the skill set to do it and we've seen I think we've seen it maybe twice this season there was that one game where I want to say he had six or seven three-pointers a lot of shots went up and I just think that was he had a rush of confidence. And I think if in order for Southeast Melbourne to be competitive in this series, um, he needs that rush of confidence. Well, he, he hasn't had a good run at it either, um, which I know we acknowledge. But you know, not, he had the soft tissue injury, and then he had his eye injury, eye yeah. scratch, whatever, whatever just it was. A there, freak one that one, freak injury. Yeah. So I mean, he hasn't had a good run. I, I don't know whether you're going to move on, but the one thing I do want to say quickly. Mm. Uh, uh, Steve, you spoke about Mitch McCarron in terms of defensively. I think we should give a little bit of a shout out to Shay Ely and Sam McDaniel because yeah. when you actually look at this lineup, and again, you talk about United, how they've all been able to buy in. A big reason that Scotty Hobson is coming off the bench is because Dean Vickerman is like, okay, we, we know what you can do offensively. We feel like it's better for our rotation and, and mixing and matching our lineups if we bring you in at the four-minute mark of the first quarter. And the way they've been able to get away with that is by starting Shea Ely or McDaniel, and they've been the ones that have taken the Bryce Cotton matchup or the Kiefer Sykes matchup. So that's what I expect we'll see in this series. I think it'll be Ely and McDaniel playing on Sykes, trying to, to limit his effectiveness. And, and as you both have said, if Sykes doesn't have a big series, if Brokoff doesn't have a big series, it's it's... It's going to be uphill sledding for for the Phoenix, and this is a United team without Jack White as well. Yeah. So like like the the defensive havoc that a full you know United roster would would wreak, it, it's actually a little bit intimidating. <laughs> um, and on that, Kane, I I think we saw it in the last United Wildcats matchup where Mitch McCarron had just so much freedom offensively oh, and yeah. wasn't yeah. bogged down because. He knows that he's got Shay Ely and Sam McDaniel and Udai Barber yeah. who can match up with the perimeter threat on the other team. That was Cotton that game. It'll be Sykes this game. It'll probably be Adnam at times. Like Mitch McCarron is just a is just free. He can do what he wants. And and we we've seen 
especially in the last, I remember the last finals, Casper Ware, a lot of the, the reason why he was just, he, he's slump, a lot of it can be attributed to the fact that he had to guard Bryce Cotton on the other end, right? Yeah. And then he just could, he just had no energy when when they brought the ball down the floor. And so that, that's huge for Mitch McCarron, especially the dude, he's the dude who has the ball in his hands. He's the guy coming off on balls. He's doing a lot of running. Like that stuff matters. Um, and it's just, that's a lot of credit goes to Dean Vickerman and Vince Crivelli for putting together a team that it wasn't just, it's not just stars. It's a lot of good role players that just yeah. fit around the elite guys. Like they picked their top tier dudes and then they managed to recruit really high level role players that fit perfectly around them. Yeah, I, um, I, so I was just going to say, I, quickly, I, I commented, um, you know, after the after McCarron's game against Perth, he had zero turnovers in the game, which was just remarkable. And I tweeted yeah. about it, and he actually tweeted back a lot of studs to throw it to. And he's right. But at the same time, like, he takes care of the ball at that end and he, he executes flawlessly. I, he's a big reason for their success. And I think it gets overlooked, as you say, because he literally does have a lot of talent to throw it to. Again, his, his numbers might not be as inflated as Chris Golding's might be at times when Chris Golding could go drop 25 points or Jock Landau when he goes and gets 20 and 10. But when, when you look at a McCarran line that says five, five and five, his impact is so much more than that. And, yeah. and it's, you, you have to watch the games to realize it. Um, let's move on to, uh, in that series, let's actually, can we make picks? In, who and in how many? Okay. United in two. Uh, come United on. United in two? We'll, we'll have a game three, will we? I don't know. Probably not. But give me uh, United in three. <laughs> a very exciting game three in Sydney. Yeah. Um, I, I probably have United in two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're, we all agree United will probably walk away with this one. Um, and I guess the, the few staff members at Kudos Bank Arena will enjoy that one. It's a huge um, shame. Let, the, let me just say, it's a huge shame, like, Phoenix, all you had to do oh. was win that game last night and there was a chance we would have an all-Melbourne grand final in Melbourne with actual fans. It, it, it is a shame. It's a shame we're having this series with no fans. It, it sucks. It, there is the discussion around why the league couldn't wait a week. Uh, like the A-League put theirs back, you know. Like the, the, I don't understand why we can't have possibly have the discussion. Why can't we just wait a week and then have even limited crowds and have an all-Melbourne series in Melbourne? Especially Might because be- the last six months has just... has. It's been so long, and I don't think a week is going to make it feel that much longer. Um, Might be a discussion look, for another time, but yeah, I, I didn't understand it. And then, and then when we talk about this other series, which we'll talk about now, look, look I'll, I'll mention why in a moment, but Wildcats, Hawks, right? That's two versus three. The Illawarra Hawks got on a plane. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Their first game is tomorrow on Thursday. The Illawarra Hawks got on a plane this morning. They arrive in Perth this afternoon. Right. And so they have, they got a night's notice that this is going to be their opponent. They had to get on a six hour, well, they had to do the drive from Wollongong to Sydney and then get on a six hour flight to Perth. And so it would have made a ton of sense to wait a little bit, maybe give guys some time to maybe just think about who they might be guarding in the, in the matchup, little things like that, or at least book a flight that wasn't the next day. Um, and so, look, that's the matchup we're going to get. Wildcats, Hawks, you've got Gleason versus Gorgon, no Bryce Cotton, Tyler Harvey for the Illawarra Hawks has been killing it lately, sort of thrust himself into that MVP conversation. Off the top of my head, I want to say the Hawks won eight of their last 10, and their last loss was 
because they practically and admitted to just resting Tyler Harvey and they played Justin Simon and AJ Ogilvy limited minutes. They just played their bench. Um, Kane, off the off the top of your head, you know, what what's what's the bigger thing going into this series? Is it Tyler Harvey being the elite guy that he is and, and how well he can shoot it? Or is it the loss of Cotton? I feel like it's that's not a hard question. I feel like that's more important than Harvey's dominance. Um, what, what do you think plays the, the bigger role here? Because Harvey's, I think, as, as dominant as he's been, he's been a bit hit on this too. Yeah, I mean, they tie into each other, don't they? Because what you're going to lose offensively or what you think is an automatic 20-plus points from Cotton, Illawarra are going to be hoping to get from Harvey. So it's it's yeah. it's a double swing right there. And and that's why the only question mark I have over Perth, and, and look, we know playing in Perth is, is extremely difficult. They played the game against each other only a week or so ago and Illawarra just got home. But the home court advantage is going to be significant, particularly with the travel and, and all those things mm-hmm. intertwined there. But yeah, I mean, I don't think... It's impossible to look at this Perth team and even the way they've played in the week or so after the one thing that stands out to you is the structure doesn't change, but they just don't have cotton there. So they're still moving the ball. They're still going to generate open shots, but they just don't have Bryce cotton there who you trust in every single big moment is actually going to get you the bucket. And again, your guy, Olgan, John Mooney, well, what's going to happen here? Cotton's not there. Is he going to average 25 and 20 in this series? He might have to. We, we, yeah, we, we've seen games where, um, where John Mooney has been a really effective post-up guy, but I just don't think that's where the Wildcats are successful, just throwing it into him and letting him right. work, especially in the mid-post where, again, John Mooney's really solid there, but it's not his bread and butter. Um, and so it's it does suck that we're not going to see a full-strength Wildcats team in this series. Um, but if there is any team that is going to overcome that, <laughs> overcome losing the best player in the league... It's yeah. probably the Wildcats. It's probably probably these Wildcats. Um, Steve, what are your first thoughts on this on this series? Yeah, there's there's something you touched on when you were talking about just introducing the series, and that was the the coaching matchup. I think that off the top of my head was the first thing I thought of was, ooh, Gorgian versus Gleason. This is going to be fun because yeah. okay, okay, max three games, but there's going to be some interesting adjustments made throughout each game, and I'm really curious to see what wrinkles they throw. I, I think the other X factor is is Will Magnet. I just think, you know, can Perth get more out of him than what they've been able to? It's it's a really tough ask because Magnet's coming in and again, a bit like Brokoff, he's got to shake some rust off and he's got to in, integrate himself into that Perth system. And on, on short notice, I think that can be a hard ask. And I think, because everyone else knows what they're doing. And I, I just wonder, can, can Perth maximise his talent in the right way, in the right situation so that, he gives them that boost that they're going to need without Cotton and without Norton, potentially. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure they're going to be able to because I, I always think, where does where is Will Magne excelled offensively during yeah. the time we've seen him? And it's being a guy who sets picks and rolls hard. And yeah. I don't know if there's anyone on this Wildcats team outside of Bryce Cotton who is really adept at coming off an on-ball and creating for others. Um, and again, that's not a, a knock on anyone. It's just not anyone's game, really. No, um, it's and it's it's also not how the what these Wildcats are run. Um, they don't even have like I'm looking at the Hawks. They don't even have an Emmett Nah type of guy who you can even bring on and trust to just handle the ball for a bit. You know, set just a high on ball and, and work off that. And so I just don't know if this Wildcats team is able to put what it 
Will Magna in spots where he can be successful. Um, and then that that worries me, right? And, and we spoke about Luke Travers before, and it, it's mm. it's really cool to see him have a bit of freedom and you give him the ball at the top and see what he can do because he's really talented. Um, whether that's enough to win or to, to do consistently and then win a playoff game is a different story. Um, and then on the other end, I think the Hawks have solved their big issue, um, and w- which was just offensively, teams were just loading up on Tyler Harvey and Justinian Jessup, right? And as soon as they load up on those guys and they offload the ball down to either Sam Froling or AJ Ogilvy, they've got a non-shooter in either Dingadell or Justin Simon in the corner, right? The the switch was literally just to to get rid of Dingadell and then sign Tim Conrad and then up the minutes of a guy like Isaac White, who even if they're not making shots, you put him in a corner and no one's leaving them. And that's why Sam Froling has been able to be so consistent and productive over these past 10 12 games there's just been so much room on the floor for him to operate there's been so much room for tyler harvey to operate because the floor is super spread and so i think kane that's that's the difference i think the hawks have figured out they figured themselves out they were already solid defensively and i think they figured out that what they needed to do to be successful offensively i don't know if the wildcats are able to I don't, I don't know if they've completely figured that out yet, especially with Magne, since Cotton has gone. Yeah, so I think if I'm looking at this series now, and I don't think this is the case with Perth, typically when you have Cotton, I think they feel pretty comfortable playing a half-court game. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I think, and again, you get back to Travers, but you get back to the shooters as well, and even Mooney and Magne. Run the floor. I think they're going to have to try and up the pace in this game to, to score. But yeah. if you're looking for upside from Perth, that last game that they played, uh, when you look at the the three point shooting, Wagstaff, uh, sorry, Blanchfield and Steindl were four for eighteen from three in that game. So clearly, like those two guys are going to have to knock down shots, and they're going to get opportunities. Absolutely. But I would say that would that would be my guess as to how Perth are going to try to overcome the lack of a pick and roll ball handler that can unlock not only the shooters and the ball swing, get the defense in rotation, the big guys. I think they're going to run. They're going to get out and run. They're going to play a faster paced tempo offense. And because the other thing is, as you pointed to. The Hawks are super athletic defensively, and I don't think necessarily getting into a half-court game, despite, I mean, on on top of the fact you don't have your creator, I just think that they're going to be able to be stifled by the Hawks' defense, which which has been one of the surprises of the season. Yeah, and I think those two dudes you mentioned were very important. I think Steindl and Blanchfield. Um, Blanchfield has been outstanding throughout the entire season. Um, Steindl has found his spots as the season has progressed, um, especially towards this back end. And so when we talk about how the Wildcats can be successful, it's, it's what can they do to lift up their, their high-level scorers? And I think those two are the main guys. And if, if it's those guys coming off pin downs and, and doing their thing there, then that's where you can get some action. Whether they can do that consistently enough, we'll see how the Hawks you know, play off those guys, how they decide to guard those guys. Um, but I agree. I think, I think running is probably the way to go with this team, um, especially because you do have, because I, I think Will Magna, I, w- I would bet on Will Magna and John Mooney over Froling and Ogilvy in a foot race. Um, and it's also just the way they play. And I completely agree with you there. Steve, what's, what, what do you think about the, the, I'm trying to think of the, the, the top tier guys on both teams, right? And, 
that's where it sort of concerns me a bit if I'm Perth, because I think I I think the the trio of Harvey, Jessup, Froling is has the potential to have a lot more output than Mooney, would we say Blanchfield, Norton? Yeah, this is this is the tricky bit, isn't it, for Perth? Because I think United kind of showed it a bit against Perth um, in their last game, is that when it comes to the crunch, what what, what is Perth going to do and, and who's going to be taking the shots if, if it's close? Because you can't just keep pounding the ball down to Mooney, as, as you said, and he doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. And I think they've got Illawarra have a bit of the, the two-headed monster in, in Ogilvy and Froling to sort of negate Mooney to an extent. I don't think they're going to put the clamps on him completely. They're not going to shut him down. He's too good for that. But I think they can at least negate him so that it it means that Illawarra has, you know, it's not not quite an advantage, but it, it, it evens out. So I think yeah. given that their level of talent at the offensive end, I, I think Perth might be in a bit of strife here, especially if, you know, if they, if they can really stifle, you know, someone like Steindl coming off screens, like he's not going to get enough he's not going to get enough open looks, I don't think. And again, as you said, it probably comes down to Blanchfield a little bit. And as good as he can be, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. Blanchfield has to be a gunner in this series, yeah. I think. Um, and you mentioned the guys who were going to be matching up with, with John Mooney. I think I've written down Ogilvy foul trouble. If AJ Ogilvy needs to be able to stay on the floor, um, yeah. because one thing this team doesn't have is depth, especially in that position. And so what happens, and I think Ogilvy, AJ Ogilvy has been a really, really impressive defender all season long. Um, his minutes have been weirdly up and down, but I just think he's been effective anytime he's been on the floor. And so I think his ability to stay on the floor is going to be really, really important for this team. Um, one positive thing for Perth is I, I remember watching the last game these guys played. It was the, the game where the Hawks clinched the playoff spot. And Toward the end of that game, the Perth Wildcats seemingly had a lot of stuff figured out. They they played Blanchfield and Steindl at the same time, both of those guys basically standing under the rim and coming off pin downs and curling opposite ways and basically just creating a lot of strife for the, the, def, the defenders and, and making them make decisions. And that was really difficult for Illawarra. And a big part of how they, they have to approach this is figuring out how they're going to guard that. Um, they the, the Wildcats really confuse them on a lot of switches. I think I, I wonder how much we'll see Deng Deng in this series because he just he seemed like he didn't have the defensive awareness to to understand that Jesse Wagstaff is is gonna pop here and he doesn't know where to switch. And so I think as as much as as good as the this Hawks team has been defensively, there's there's still a lot of youth there. And I and I wonder if the kind of experience and veteran savvy of this Wildcats team might be able to overcome a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, this, is the, this is the flip side of uh, what we were talking about if Perth play fast. I mean, that's, that's one option, but you're obviously not going to be able to do that at, at all times. So how do you break down the Illawarra defense if you don't have that pick and roll initiator? Well, you can set a bunch of screens. You can have guys moving at all times. You can have people cutting the baseline and trying to free up that way. So it's by player movement, trying to get the mismatches where you can see if the Hawks are going to switch those screen actions and maybe then you get the big big guys, the mismatch. And then maybe, as you pointed to, the foul trouble becomes an issue. Well, yeah, we, we, we saw 
we saw glimpses of, of the Wildcats being really effective offensively in the last matchup between these two teams. Um, and so that's why, and I'll go back to it, Steve, the coaching matchup will be interesting. How each team adjusts. So I think, you know, going into this series, I think it's, it's a bit like, I, I don't think Brian Gorgian, a Brian Gorgian coach team isn't going to uh, not have made those adjustments that, you know, we talked about them looking a little bit confused at the end of, uh, the last game, last time they played Perth. So I think right. for sure they, they, they're going to make some adjustments. And I think both teams will have some wrinkles up their sleeves uh, as, as we go along. I think that's going to be really fun to watch. I do like this is probably the, the one and two for Coach of the Year. And yeah. we'll probably find out Coach of the Year right after it. And either we'll be reminded that it's a regular season award or whoever wins it might be vindicated. That's very exciting. Who, Kane, who do you think wins this? Perth, Illawarra, Perth has home court. They don't have their best player. Look, I didn't pick Perth to make the top four either. So give me Perth in three. Let's get the Wildcats fans back on board. They're at home court. I think it's definitely going three games. I do think it's a good point you make in terms of just the, the bringing up the narrative of, of the coach of the year because I didn't think there's a bigger challenge that any of these coaches are facing heading into the finals. I mean, I don't think it's disputable. Uh, Trevor Gleeson without Bryce Cotton, if he can pull this off, I mean, it's, it's going to be remarkable. Give me the Wildcats in three. Wildcats in three, Steve? God, I, I hate picking against Perth. I, we did it at the start of the year and paid the price for that. And here I am picking against Perth again. I think- Hater. Absolute hater. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you trying to get the Wildcat army onto me. I, I see what you're doing. Get them off your back. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're different. They're built different over in Perth. Um, you're squirming I'm, I'm, and I love it. Yeah, I'm, 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 st- I'm, I'm, picking haw- I'm picking the Hawks in three. In how many? In three. You think the, you think the Hawks are going to close out a series at yep. RSC Arena? Yep. You're a brave man. Um, <laughs> it sucks because I want to say Hawks in three. But just the prospect of closing out a game at RSE just doesn't yeah. feel right to me. Um, Hawks in two. Ooh. I think the Hawks. I think the Hawks steal one tomorrow night, and I think they go home and close it out. I think they have to win game one. I, I think you're right. If, if Illawarra is going to win this, I think they have to win game one. I don't think they're winning game three in Perth. Oh, well, oh. I, I was considering the, the the scenario of of no home team winning a game. Illawarra winning both at RAC. Man, the wild man. Just an absolute wild man. <laughs> <laughs> I just, let, let's spice it up a little bit. Let's see what happens. Oh, God. Look, that it's crazy that these that this season, regular season's over. Um, yeah. and this, these playoffs start in a day. They start, we're, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday. It starts tomorrow. Um, I'm going to do a, a fun thing for the people we work for. In saying that tomorrow's game and the next two, so basically game one of both series, is broadcast on ESPN. Um, so go ahead and watch that. Um, I, think I, I think I will. I, I probably will be. Well done. Well done. Um, we don't get paid extra for saying that. For that plug. <laughs> um, well, look, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be weird and volatile like the entire season has been. Um, and I guess it was never going to really end any other way. Um, Kane Pittman, Steve Smith, thank you so much. Um, until next time, we'll make sure that soon we'll probably we'll probably catch up before the grand final too. 
and sort of do a, a lay of the land ahead of that one. So thanks so much for joining me and then catch you next time.